0: Chapter Five Part A of the Memoirs of Jacques Casanova, Volume One, by Giacomo Casanova. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Memoirs of Jacques Casanova, Volume One, The Venetian Years. By Giacomo Casanova. Episode One. Childhood. Chapter five. Part A. An unlucky night. I fall in love with the two sisters and forget Angela. A ball at my house. Juliet's humiliation. My return to Pasean. Lucy's misfortune. A propitious storm. On my reappearance, Madame Oryo told me, with many heartfelt thanks, that I must for the future consider myself as a privileged and welcome friend, and the evening passed off very pleasantly. As the hour for supper drew near, I excused myself so well that Madame Oryo could not insist upon my accepting her invitation to stay. Martin rose to light me out of the room, but her aunt, believing Nanette to be my favorite, gave her such an imperative order to accompany me that she was compelled to obey. She went down the stairs rapidly, opened and closed the street door very noisily, and putting her light out, she re-entered the sitting-room, leaving me in darkness. I went upstairs softly. When I reached the third landing, I found the chamber of the two sisters, and, throwing myself upon a sofa, I waited patiently for the rising of the star of my happiness. An hour passed amidst the sweetest dreams of my imagination. At last I hear the noise of the street door opening and closing, and, a few minutes after, the two sisters come in with my Angela. I draw her towards me, and, caring for nobody else, I keep up for two full hours my conversation with her. The clock strikes midnight. I am pitied for having gone so late supperless, but I am shocked at such an idea. I answer that, which such happiness as I am enjoying, I can suffer from no human want. I am told that I am a prisoner, that the key of the house-door is under the aunt's pillow and that it is opened only by herself as she goes in the morning to the first mass i wonder at my young friend's imagining that such news can be anything but delightful to me i express all my joy at the certainty of passing the next five hours with the beloved mistress of my heart Another hour is spent when suddenly Nanette begins to laugh. Angela wants to know the reason, and Martin, whispering a few words to her, they both laugh likewise. This puzzles me. In my turn, I want to know what causes this general laughter, and, at last, Nanette, putting on an air of anxiety, tells me that they have no more candle, and that in a few minutes we shall be in the dark. This is a piece of news particularly agreeable to me, but I do not let my satisfaction appear on my countenance, and saying how truly I am sorry for their sake, I propose that they should go to bed and sleep quietly under my respectful guardianship. My proposal increases their merriment." what can we do in the dark we can talk we were four for the last three hours we had been talking and i was the hero of the romance love is a great poet its resources are inexhaustible but if the end it has in view is not obtained it feels weary and remains silent my angela listened willingly but little disposed to talk herself, she seldom answered and she displayed good sense rather than wit. To weaken the force of my arguments, she was often satisfied with hurling at me a proverb, somewhat in the fashion of the Romans throwing the catapult. Every time that my poor hands came to the assistance of love, she drew herself back or repulsed me. Yet, in spite of all, I went on talking, and using my hands without losing courage. But I gave myself up to despair when I found that my rather artful arguing astounded her without bringing conviction to her heart, which was only disquieted, never softened. On the other hand, I could see with astonishment upon their countenances the impression made upon the two sisters by the ardent speeches I poured out to Angela this metaphysical curve struck me as unnatural it ought to have been an angle i was then unhappily for myself studying geometry i was in such a state that notwithstanding the cold i was perspiring profusely at last the light was nearly out and nanette took it away the moment we were in the dark i very naturally extended my arms to seize her whom i loved but I only met with empty space, and I could not help laughing at the rapidity with which Angela had availed herself of the opportunity of escaping me. For one full hour I poured out all the tender, cheerful words that love inspired me with, to persuade her to come back to me. I could only suppose that it was a joke to tease me, but I became impatient. The joke, I said, has lasted long enough. It is foolish, as I could not run after you, and I am surprised to hear you laugh, for your strange conduct leads me to suppose that you are making fun of me. Come and take your seat near me, and, if I must speak to you without seeing you, let my hands assure me that I am not addressing my words to the empty air.' To continue this game would be an insult to me, and my love does not deserve such a return. Well, be calm. I will listen to every word you may say, but you must feel that it would not be decent for me to place myself near you in this dark room. Do you want me to stand where I am until morning? Lie down on the bed and go to sleep. "'I wonder, indeed, at your thinking me capable of doing so in the state I am in. "'Well, I suppose we must play at blind man's buff.' "'Thereupon I began to feel right and left everywhere, but in vain. "'Whenever I caught anyone, it always turned out to be Nanette or Martin, "'who at once discovered themselves, and I, stupid Don Quixote, instantly would let them go.' Love and prejudice blinded me. I could not see how ridiculous I was with my respectful reserve. I had not yet read the anecdotes of Louis Thirteen, King of France, but I had read Boccaccio. I kept on seeking in vain, reproaching her with her cruelty, and entreating her to let me catch her, but she would only answer that the difficulty of meeting each other was mutual. The room was not large, and I was enraged at my want of success. Tired and still more vexed, I sat down, and for the next hour I told the history of Roger when Angelica disappears through the power of the magic ring, which the loving knight had so imprudently given her. Così dicendo, intorno alla fortuna, brancolando n'andava come cieco. O quante volte abbracciò l'aria vana, la donzella a seco! Angela had not read Ariosto, but Nanette had done so several times. She undertook the defence of Angelica, and blamed the simplicity of Roger, who, if he had been wise, would never have trusted the ring to a coquette. I was delighted with Nanette, but I was yet too much of a novice to apply her remarks to myself. Only one more hour remained, and I was to leave before the break of day, for Madame Orrio would have died rather than give way to the temptation of missing the early Mass. During that hour I spoke to Angela, trying to convince her that she ought to come and sit by me. MY SOUL WENT THROUGH EVERY GRADATION OF HOPE AND DESPAIR, AND THE READER CANNOT POSSIBLY REALIZE IT UNLESS HE HAS BEEN PLACED IN A SIMILAR POSITION. I EXHAUSTED THE MOST CONVINCING ARGUMENTS. THEN I HAD RECOURSE TO PRAYERS, AND EVEN TO TEARS, BUT, SEEING ALL WAS USELESS, I GAVE WAY TO THAT FEELING OF NOBLE INDIGNATION WHICH LENDS DIGNITY TO ANGER. Had I not been in the dark, I might, I truly believe, have struck the proud monster. The cruel girl who had thus for five hours condemned me to the most distressing suffering. I poured out all the abuse, all the insulting words that despised love can suggest to an infuriated mind. I loaded her with the deepest curses. I swore that my love had entirely turned into hatred, and, as a finale, I advised her to be careful, as I would kill her the moment I would set my eyes on her. My invectives came to an end with the darkness. At the first break of day, and as soon as I heard the noise made by the bolt and the key of the street door, which Madame Orio was opening to let herself out, that she might seek in the Church the repose of which her pious soul was in need, I got myself ready, and looked for my cloak and for my hat. But how can I ever portray the consternation in which I was thrown when, casting a sly glance upon the young friends, I found the three bathed in tears? In my shame and despair, I thought of committing suicide, and sitting down again, I recollected my brutal speeches and upbraided myself for having wantonly caused them to weep. I could not say one word. I felt choking. At last tears came to my assistance, and I gave way to a fit of crying which relieved me. Nanette then remarked that her aunt would soon return home. I dried my eyes, and, not venturing another look at Angela or at her friends, I ran away without uttering a word, and threw myself on my bed, where sleep would not visit my troubled mind. At noon, M. de Malipiero, noticing the change in my countenance, inquired what ailed me, and longing to unburden my heart, I told them all that had happened. The wise old man did not laugh at my sorrow, but by his sensible advice he managed to console me and to give me courage. He was in the same predicament with the beautiful Therese, yet he could not help giving way to his merriment when at dinner he saw me, in spite of my grief, eat with increased appetite. I had gone without my supper the night before he complimented me upon my happy constitution. I was determined never to visit Madame Orio's house, and on that very day I held an argument in Metaphysics, in which I contended that any being of whom we had only an abstract idea could only exist abstractedly, and I was right, but it was a very easy task to give to my thesis an irreligious turn, and I was obliged to recant. A few days afterwards I went to Padua, where I took my degree of doctor, Utroque Jure. When I returned to Venice, I received a note from M. Rosa, who entreated me to call upon Madame Orio. She wished to see me, and, feeling certain of not meeting Angela, I paid her a visit the same evening the two graceful sisters were so kind so pleasant that they scattered to the winds the shame i felt at seeing them after the fearful night i had passed in their room two months before the labours of writing my thesis and passing my examination were of course sufficient excuses for madame orio who only wanted to reproach me for having remained so long away from her house As I left, Nanette gave me a letter containing a note from Angela, the contents of which ran as follows. "'If you are not afraid of passing another night with me, you shall have no reason to complain of me, for I love you, and I wish to hear from your own lips whether you would still have loved me if I had consented to become contemptible in your eyes.' This is the letter of Nanette, who alone had her wits about her. M. Rosa, having undertaken to bring you back to our house, I prepare these few lines to let you know that Angela is in despair at having lost you. I confess that the night you spent with us was a cruel one, but I do not think that you did rightly in giving up your visits to Madame Orio. If you still feel any love for Angela, I advise you to take your chances once more accept the rendezvous for another night she may vindicate herself and you will be happy believe me come farewell those two letters afforded me much gratification for i had it in my power to enjoy my revenge by showing to angela the coldest contempt therefore on the following sunday i went to madame orio's house having provided myself with a smoked tongue and a couple of bottles of cypress wine but to my great surprise my cruel mistress was not there nanette told me that she had met her at church in the morning and that she would not be able to come before supper time trusting to that promise i declined madame orio's invitation and before the family sat down to supper, I left the room, as I had done on the former occasion, and slipped upstairs. I longed to represent the character I had prepared myself for, and feeling assured that Angela, even if she should prove less cruel, would only grant me insignificant favours, I despised them in anticipation, and resolved to be avenged. After waiting three quarters of an hour The street door was locked, and, a moment later, Nanette and Martin entered the room. "'Where is Angela?' I inquired. "'She must have been unable to come, or to send a message. Yet she knows you are here.' "'She thinks she has made a fool of me. But I suspected she would act in this way. You know her now. She is trifling with me, and very likely she is now reveling in her triumph.' She has made use of you to allure me in the snare, and it is all the better for her. Had she come, I meant to have had my turn, and to have laughed at her. Ah, you must allow me to have my doubts as to that. Doubt me not, beautiful Nanette. The pleasant night we are going to spend without her must convince you. That is to say that, as a man of sense, you can accept us as a makeshift, BUT YOU CAN SLEEP HERE, AND MY SISTER CAN LIE WITH ME ON THE SOFA IN THE NEXT ROOM. I CANNOT HINDER YOU, BUT IT WOULD BE GREAT UNKINDNESS ON YOUR PART. AT ALL EVENTS, I DO NOT INTEND TO GO TO BED. WHAT? YOU WOULD HAVE THE COURAGE TO SPEND SEVEN HOURS ALONE WITH US? WHY, I AM CERTAIN THAT IN A SHORT TIME YOU WILL BE AT A LOSS WHAT TO SAY, AND YOU WILL FALL ASLEEP. Well, we shall see. In the meantime, here are provisions. You will not be so cruel as to let me eat alone. Can you get any bread? Yes, and to please you we must have a second supper. I ought to be in love with you. Tell me, beautiful Nanette, if I were as much attached to you as I was to Angela, would you follow her example and make me unhappy? How can you ask such a question? It is worthy of a conceited man. All I can answer is that I do not know what I would do. They laid the cloth, brought some bread, some parmesan cheese and water, laughing all the while, and then we went to work. The wine to which they were not accustomed went to their heads, and their gaiety was soon delightful. I wondered, as I looked at them, at my having been blind enough "'not to see their merit. "'After our supper, which was delicious, "'I sat between them, holding their hands, "'which I pressed to my lips, "'asking them whether they were truly my friends, "'and whether they approved of Angela's conduct towards me. "'They both answered that it had made them shed many tears. "'Then let me,' I said, "'have for you the tender feelings of a brother,' and share those feelings yourselves as if you were my sisters let us exchange in all innocence proofs of our mutual affection and swear to each other an eternal fidelity the first kiss i gave them was prompted by entirely harmless motives and they returned the kiss as they assured me a few days afterwards only to prove to me that they reciprocated my brotherly feelings BUT THOSE INNOCENT KISSES, AS WE REPEATED THEM, VERY SOON BECAME ARDENT ones, AND KINDLED A FLAME WHICH CERTAINLY TOOK US BY SURPRISE, FOR WE STOPPED, AS BY COMMON CONSENT, AFTER A SHORT TIME, LOOKING AT EACH OTHER VERY MUCH ASTONISHED AND RATHER SERIOUS. THEY BOTH LEFT ME WITHOUT AFFECTATION, AND I REMAINED ALONE WITH MY THOUGHTS. Indeed, it was natural that the burning kisses I had given, and received, should have sent through me the fire of passion, and that I should suddenly have fallen madly in love with the two amiable sisters. Both were handsomer than Angela, and they were superior to her. Nanette, by her charming wit, Martin, by her sweet and simple nature i could not understand how i had been so long in rendering them the justice they deserved but they were the innocent daughters of a noble family and the lucky chance which had thrown them in my way ought not to prove a calamity for them i was not vain enough to suppose that they loved me BUT I COULD WELL ENOUGH ADMIT THAT MY KISSES HAD INFLUENCED THEM IN THE SAME MANNER THAT THEIR KISSES HAD INFLUENCED ME, AND, BELIEVING THIS TO BE THE CASE, IT WAS EVIDENT THAT, WITH A LITTLE CUNNING ON MY PART, AND OF SLY PRACTICES OF WHICH THEY WERE IGNORANT, I COULD EASILY, DURING THE LONG NIGHT I WAS GOING TO SPEND WITH THEM, OBTAIN FAVORS, THE CONSEQUENCES OF WHICH MIGHT BE VERY POSITIVE. The very thought made me shudder, and I firmly resolved to respect their virtue, never dreaming that circumstances might prove too strong for me. When they returned, I read upon their countenances perfect security and satisfaction, and I quickly put on the same appearance, with a full determination not to expose myself again to the danger of their kisses." For one hour we spoke of Angela, and I expressed my determination never to see her again, as I had every proof that she did not care for me. She loves you, said the artless Martin. I know she does, but if you do not mean to marry her, you will do well to give up all intercourse with her, for she is quite determined not to grant you even a kiss, as long as you are not her acknowledged suitor." You must therefore either give up the acquaintance altogether, or make up your mind that she will refuse you everything. You argue very well, but how do you know that she loves me? I am quite sure of it, and as you have promised to be our brother, I can tell you why I have that conviction. When Angela is in bed with me, she embraces me lovingly and calls me her dear Abbe. The words were scarcely spoken when Nanette, laughing heartily, placed her hand on her sister's lips, but the innocent confession had such an effect upon me that I could hardly control myself. Martin told Nanette that I could not possibly be ignorant of what takes place between young girls sleeping together. There is no doubt, I said, that everybody knows those trifles, and I do not think, "'Dear Nanette, that you ought to reproach your sister "'with indiscretion for her friendly confidence. "'It cannot be helped now, "'but such things ought not to be mentioned. "'If Angela knew it! "'She would be vexed, of course, "'but Martin has given me a mark of her friendship "'which I never can forget. "'But it is all over. "'I hate Angela, and I do not mean to speak to her any more. "'She is false, and she wishes my ruin. Yet, loving you, is she wrong to think of having you for her husband? Granted that she is not, but she thinks only of her own self. For she knows what I suffer, and her conduct would be very different if she loved me. In the meantime, thanks to her imagination, she finds the means of satisfying her senses with a charming Martin who kindly performs the part of her husband. Nanette laughed louder, but I kept very serious, and I went on talking to her sister and praising her sincerity. I said that very likely, and to reciprocate her kindness, Angela must likewise have been her husband. But she answered with a smile that Angela played husband only to Nanette, and Nanette could not deny it. But, said I, what name did Nanette in her rapture gift to her husband? Nobody knows. Do you love anyone, Nanette? I do, but my secret is my own. This reserve gave me the suspicion that I had something to do with her secret, and that Nanette was the rival of Angela. Such a delightful conversation caused me to lose the wish of passing an idle night with two girls so well made for love." it is very lucky i exclaimed that i have for you only feelings of friendship otherwise it would be very hard to pass the night without giving way to the temptation of bestowing upon you proofs of my affection for you are both so lovely so bewitching that you would turn the brains of any man as i went on talking i pretended to be somewhat sleepy nanette being the first to notice it said go to bed without any ceremony we will lie down on the sofa in the adjoining room i would be a very poor spirited fellow indeed if i agreed to this let us talk my sleepiness will soon pass off but i am anxious about you go to bed yourselves my charming friends and i will go into the next room If you are afraid of me, lock the door, but you would do me an injustice, for I feel only a brother's yearnings towards you. We cannot accept such an arrangement, said Nanette, but let me persuade you. Take this bed. I cannot sleep with my clothes on. Undress yourself. We would not look at you. I have no fear of it, but how could I find the heart to sleep while on my account you are compelled to sit up? Well, said Martin, we can lie down, too, without undressing. If you show me such distrust, you will offend me. Tell me, Nanette, do you think I am an honest man? Most certainly. Well, then, give me a proof of your good opinion. Lie down near me in the bed, undressed, and rely on my word of honour that I will not even lay a finger upon you. Besides, you are two against one. What can you fear?' "'Will you not be free to get out of the bed "'in case I should not keep quiet? "'In short, unless you consent to give me "'this mark of your confidence in me, "'at least when I have fallen asleep, "'I cannot go to bed.' "'I said no more and pretended to be very sleepy. "'They exchanged a few words, "'whispering to each other, "'and Martin told me to go to bed, "'that they would follow me as soon as I was asleep. "'Nanette made me the same promise,' I turned my back to them, undressed myself quickly, and wishing them good-night, I went to bed. I immediately pretended to fall asleep, but soon I dozed in good earnest and only woke when they came to bed. Then, turning around as if I wished to resume my slumbers, I remained very quiet until I could suppose them fast asleep. At all events, if they did not sleep, they were at liberty to pretend to do so their backs were towards me and the light was out therefore i could only act at random and i paid my first compliments to the one who was lying on my right not knowing whether she was nanette or martin i find her bent in two and wrapped up in the only garment she had kept on taking my time and sparing her modesty I compel her by degrees to acknowledge her defeat, and convince her that it is better to feign sleep and to let me proceed. Her natural instincts soon working in concert with mine, I reach the goal; and my efforts, crowned with the most complete success, leave me not the shadow of a doubt that I have gathered those first fruits to which our prejudice makes us attach so great an importance enraptured at having enjoyed my manhood completely and for the first time i quietly leave my beauty in order to do homage to the other sister i find her motionless lying on her back like a person wrapped in profound and undisturbed slumber carefully manage my advance as if i were afraid of waking her up I begin by gently gratifying her senses, and I ascertain the delightful fact that, like her sister, she is still in possession of her maidenhood. As soon as a natural movement proves to me that love accepts the offering, I take my measure to consummate the sacrifice. At that moment, giving way suddenly to the violence of her feelings, and tired of her assumed dissimulation, she warmly locks me in her arms, at the very instant of the voluptuous crisis, smothers me with kisses, shares my raptures, and love blends our souls in the most ecstatic enjoyment. Guessing her to be Nanette, I whisper her name. Yes, I am, Nanette, she answers, and I declare myself happy, as well as my sister, if you prove yourself true and faithful. Until death, my beloved ones, and, as everything we have done is the work of love, do not let us ever mention the name of Angela. After this I begged that she would give us a light, but Martin, always kind and obliging, got out of bed leaving us alone. When I saw Nanette in my arms, beaming with love, and Martin near the bed holding a candle, with her eyes reproaching us with ingratitude, because we did not speak to her, who, by accepting my first caresses, had encouraged her sister to follow her example, I realized all my happiness.